Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Well, um, you know, there's a basic rule in life uh, that's actually seldom, seldom observed. And it's that you should never ask a question that you don't want to hear the answer to. Unfortunately, I do this all the time. Uh, I, uh, should I clean up the kitchen after cooking? Should I have some more chocolate? Do I need another pair of shoes? In many ways, I already have the answers that I want to these questions. I just want Wendy to affirm them. I wanted to say, no, leave that mess in the kitchen, Ian. I would love to clean up after you. I live for that. And yes, have, have two extra bits of chocolate. You deserve it. After all, this is lint, waste-reducing chocolate. And yes, buy another pair of shoes. Hey, you only have two feet, but you need a pair of shoes for every occasion. In today's Bible reading, when... Jesus was leaving a place where he had been staying. A rich young man came running up to him and fell at his feet and asked him a question, probably the most important question of all. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, but it seems that uh, this rich young man didn't really want to know Jesus' answer. All he wanted was Jesus to affirm the answer that he already had in his own mind. Perhaps like the rich young man, you may have have asked this question as well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And like him, you have your own answers that you want Jesus to affirm. Your answer may be that to inherit eternal life, you must be a good person or that uh, you think that you, you shouldn't do any harm or it is to act ethically. For others, your answer is about being religious. It's about being in church each week. It's about avoiding sin. For others, you might have even foreseen what uh, that Jesus' question or Jesus' answer could be a bit challenging to this question. And so you're even too afraid to ask that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so you just leave that question. That question's unanswered in your life today. The rich young man's question is a really good question, but one that he thought that he already knew the answer to. He just wanted Jesus to quickly reassure him that he was heading in the right direction. I mean, why else would he come and ask Jesus this question just as Jesus was heading out of town? It would be like seeing your neighbour the, the people next door, they're, they're packing their car at 5.30 in the morning because they're getting ready for that, that sort of road trip to Queensland, you know, when you could do that sort of thing. And instead of you just giving them a wave goodbye as you pop outside to pick up the newspaper in the morning, you suddenly ask out of the blue, hey, Bob, what's the meaning of life? Bob's probably going to just grunt something at you, isn't he? He's probably going to... Uh, uh, you know, just um, if he's generous, 
he might give you some sort of quick response to get rid of you so that he can get out there on the road. But not so with Jesus. He's not going to give you just a quick answer because he loves you. He loves you too much for that. Underlying the rich young man's question is a certain sort of worldview. It's the assumption that uh, life forever with God, eternal life in God's kingdom, can be achieved by avoiding bad, doing bad things and it can be achieved by doing good things. And a sign that you're on the right track is actually uh, that you have wealth and you have prosperity. And this is why the rich young man thought he was going to get a quick answer from Jesus, you see. Because he had all that stuff in his life. He had those possessions. He had that wealth. And he thought that he was on the right track. And this is how he saw himself. But Jesus knows what this young guy is thinking. And so he asks him if he knows the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother, honor your father and mother. It seems like Jesus is going to give him a quick answer, doesn't it? Every Jew knows those, the answer to those questions. Even we know the answer to those questions. He, he thought Jesus was asking him the equivalent of like a Sunday school question. You know, the ones that you used to get when you're in Sunday school and that you could answer with either Jesus, God or believe. It would have to be one of those. So the rich young man answered Jesus very quickly. Of course, yeah, of course. I've kept all of these commandments since I was a boy. And he thought to himself, I'm out of here. I'm in. But we need to notice something about the commandments that Jesus mentions there. And also we need to particularly notice the commandments that Jesus doesn't mention here. See, God gave Moses and the Israelites ten commandments while they were on their way to the promised land. But Jesus only actually mentions four commandments, four of those commandments here to the rich young man. And he actually even adds another command, another law which is not in those commandments. Don't defraud anyone. Does Jesus only mention a few commandments so that he can give him a quick answer and get out there on the road and on his way with his disciples onto something more important? I don't think so. That's not Jesus' style, is it? The four commandments that Jesus mentioned are commandments that any upright, religiously-minded Jewish person would know and, and keep. And they would know if they've kept them or not. You see, no one goes through life, do they, wondering if they've killed someone? Oh, I wonder if I've killed someone. <laughs> no one goes through life wondering if they've committed adultery or not. or stolen things or defrauded someone, you know if you've done those things. This is why the rich young man could quickly tick off his list of things that he thought that he had done well. And he's sort of just waiting for Jesus to tell him that he's on track. Yeah, just keep going, keep doing what you're doing and you're going to make it. What's important here, though, are the commandments that Jesus doesn't mention. These are, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol and worship it. 
You should not misuse God's name. You should keep the Sabbath. You should not covet what someone else has. Jesus doesn't mention these commandments because, because in, a, in a way he's already assessed what this young man's issue is and he's going to address it. He's not trying to trap him. He's not trying to humiliate him. He doesn't turn to him and call him a liar. Ah, oh, you're a liar. That's not Jesus' style. Jesus actually does this. He wants him to grasp his situation and tell him how to change that situation so that he can actually enter into God's kingdom and to inherit eternal life. We know that this is Jesus' attitude because Mark says there in that passage, he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. After this, he told him what the barrier was that was preventing him from inheriting eternal life. And it was his wealth. It was the very thing that he thought was a mark of him being right with God. You see, he was a wealthy guy and his wealth was taking the place of God in his life. His wealth was his idol. His wealth was where he got his security from. His wealth was where he put his trust which is what the first four commandments that Jesus didn't mention really talk about. You see, the rich young man was a Jew. He didn't worship foreign gods. He, he didn't worship the foreign gods of another people. He didn't, definitely didn't have any idols in his house that he, that he would bow down to or make offerings to. But he had a blind spot. He had a blind spot in his life because he couldn't see uh, that his wealth had actually become a god to him. His wealth had actually become an idol because he looked at them for security instead of to God. Then Jesus said something really tough. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Wow. <laughs> what a command. The young man was crushed and the disciples are sweating. They're shocked. I mean, when, you, when, you, when, you, when we hear this command ourselves, we think, wow, that's really hard. I mean, who can live without money? Who can sell everything and give the money to the poor? When we hear Jesus say this, we think, oh, maybe Jesus is negative about money. Maybe he's saying it's sinful to be rich. And we hear people say this, don't we? And people try to quote even a Bible verse and they say money is the root of all evil. And uh, this is one of the most misquoted passages of Scripture in the Bible. You see it written even in newspapers that says money is the root of all evil. But, but money is not evil, but it's not good either. You see, money is neutral. It is the love of money which is the root of all evil and it's the love of money which the rich young man has a problem with and which is a stumbling block in his life. But Jesus, wasn't telling him to, but Jesus was not telling him to sell everything and give it to the poor because he hates money or because he thinks that money is evil or because he wants this young man to suffer. Jesus was giving him this answer the answer that he didn't want to hear because he loved him. 
because he loved him and because he wanted him to enter into God's kingdom and to experience God's kingdom and to inherit eternal life. So the central central issue here is not actually money. The central issue is, is what the young man was actually trusting in. And hearing Jesus' answer, the rich young man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth, Mark tells us. And seeing this, seeing Jesus declare this, his disciples and those who remain behind, Jesus declared how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. What another breathtaking statement by Jesus. This is a really tough statement, isn't it? What Jesus is saying in contemporary Australian English would be something like, a rich person has two chances of getting into the kingdom of God, Buckley's and none. And this sounds harsh. And it sounds really disturbing to us. But Jesus is not saying, he's not saying it's a sin to be rich or that the rich are bad. What he's saying is that there's something wrong with all of us which prevents us from inheriting the kingdom of God and eternal life and entering the kingdom of God. But it's actually money, more than most things in our lives, that has the power to cause a blind spot in us. It makes us believe that we don't need God and it ends up make it ends up making us forget it about forgetting about God. We're warned about this in Deuteronomy eight, where it says, "Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied." then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. And the truth of this this can be seen in our country today, can't it? In this wealthy country of ours where we eat and we are truly satisfied, where we live in fine houses and our investments just increase, it's so easy to be tempted to forget about God and to forget about the God who made us and the God who loves us and think that we can gain eternal life without even considering him. Entering into the kingdom of God and inheriting eternal life are ultimately about transferring your trust fully to God. This is what Zacchaeus, the tax collector, did in Luke 19. You see... Zacchaeus was a rich guy and a lot of his wealth, though, he gained from cheating people. But he recognised that there was something lacking in his life. Money hadn't given him that which he was really seeking, that which he was deeply yearning for, which is why he went and actually climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus. He'd heard about Jesus and wanted to get a better view of him. And so when Jesus actually seized Zacchaeus in the tree, he comes up and chats with him and invites himself back to Zacchaeus' house to eat with him. And this is a life-altering moment for Zacchaeus. 
which causes him to transfer his trust in money and wealth to trusting in God and following Jesus. God does such a profound work in Zacchaeus' heart that he could stand up and declare publicly to all his tax collector mates right there in front of them that he was going to give half of his wealth, half of his, half of all of his wealth to the poor. And he was going to repay back anyone that he cheated four times over what he'd actually taken from them. And when Zacchaeus declared what he was doing, what did Jesus do? Did he stand up and say, oh, Zach, what about the other half of the money? You see, the issue with Zacchaeus and also the issue with a rich young man is not primarily about money. It's about where his allegiance is. It's about where the, both of them were putting their trust. But the rich young man, unlike Zacchaeus, went away sad. But he is not the only one who said, who was actually sad that day. The disciples were also dismayed. They all believed, like the rich young man, that wealth was always a good thing. And that uh, having money always pointed to the fact that you were blessed by God. They'd never considered that money and wealth could actually be a hindrance, even though the prophets had often warned them about this. Hearing Jesus' answer to this rich young man, they asked, who then can be saved? If this guy who says that he keeps the laws of God and who has all the signs of blessing won't inherit eternal life with God, who can? That's what they're asking. And Jesus says what is impossible for people is possible for God to achieve. You see, it's only God who can change the human heart and, and it's only God who can open our hearts so that we can trust him. And it's only God who can transform a rich person like Zacchaeus to a person who could generously give half of his wealth away to the poor and pay back cheerfully those people who had ripped off four times what he'd taken from them. It's only God who can do that in your heart. You can't do that for yourself. Still dismayed, Peter tells Jesus that they, they'd actually left everything to follow him. And so what he's asking in that statement is uh, he's asking Jesus whether, whether they were like the rich man or whether they had actually passed the test that Jesus was talking about here. He's asking Jesus, have we done enough? Have we done what you told the rich man to do? And in a long-winded sort of way, Jesus answers, yes, you have, because God has changed your hearts so that they could put their trust in him and follow him instead of other things. But that trust is not trusting God to a road to nowhere, is it? Because Jesus goes on. In fact, Jesus says, Jesus says that uh, if you follow me and you trust me, it's a road to true riches. It's actually a road to true satisfaction, to riches that, will, that, uh, that have true value, not just in this life but in the next. He tells Peter, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel 
will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, along with persecutions, but also you will receive again in the age to come eternal life. And so Jesus ends here on this on the same subject that the rich man, rich young man opens the question with, which is the question of eternal life, to inherit eternal life, to enter God's kingdom. What Jesus is saying is you must transfer your trust to me. You must put your welfare and your care in Jesus' hands. Peter and the other disciples and Zacchaeus, they passed the test not because they sold everything that they had, but because they had orientated their lives to seek first God and to seek first God's kingdom. And they trusted and followed Jesus. And Jesus told them that he would meet their needs a hundredfold. And so this is the point, you see. The point is that only Jesus can satisfy. And see, this is what Zacchaeus experienced. And it's what Peter and the other disciples are going to experience, even though they might be wealthless in terms of earthly wealth, they're going to experience this deep satisfaction and this deep provision by God. And this is what Jesus wants us all to experience as well in this life and also in the next. You see, money tells a bold lie. It says, stay with me and I'll give you security and I'll give you freedom, I'll give you what you need which is why letting go of your money is so tough. And I struggle with this, (laughs) just like probably all of you struggle with it. I think about the future. I think about retirement. I think about what will happen to my sons, what will happen to Wendy when I'm gone. And it's a constant challenge. But what Jesus is saying here is you need to get rid of your backup plan And you need to transfer your trust to me. That's what he's saying to the rich young man. But money's not the only thing that we, uh, that people put their trust in, is it? Other things are always vying for your focus. They're vying for your trust. You might not have a lot of money. You may be a student. You may be unemployed. But you know, other things can still, you can put other things in place. You can place your trust in other things instead of God. What are you attached to today more than God? It could be your career, could be your house, could be your lifestyle, could be your own ideas about the future, could be a relationship, could be your hobbies, could be your position, the position and power you hold, could be your beauty, could be your your education. Anything can take the place of God in our lives But money for many keeps them from hearing Jesus' answer and from following him. How can you tell if money is where you've placed your trust or for for that matter anything else? How can you tell? Some signs are that you you can't give it away. You find it hard to be generous. You find it hard to tithe. You're scared that if you give it away, you might have less than you're used to having. 
Another sign is that people, is that uh, you see people, your peers, getting ahead of you, get, and this sort of gets under your skin. And when this happens, the trap is already closing in on you because money has no longer become just a tool by which you used to live by, but how you evaluate yourself. And it becomes part of your identity. And so you just need to keep accumulating, even if it's just accumulating for a rainy day. So what should we do? You might recognise today that you are like the rich young man. You might not consider yourself rich, not according to the world's standards, but you recognise that you have been trusting in other things uh, more than you have God. The solution is not just a matter of giving your money away or, or trying to give more money away. You see, money has a strong hold on us. And before long, you'll be back where you were again, seeking security in money, or if it's not money, or you'll be transferring your security and your trust to something else. To change your attitude to money or anything else that you have an unhealthy trust in, you need to respond to Jesus' call and follow him and then accept his offer to take care of you and to trust that his offer is good and he'll follow through on that promise. You see, only as you transfer your heart to Jesus can you deal with the issue of trusting in money in a lasting manner. There are actually two rich men in this story today and not just one. One is the guy who went away sad with with pockets full of money and the other is Jesus who looked at him and loved him, whose pockets were empty but who was rich in glory, power, strength, grace and forgiveness. Jesus gave his riches away. Jesus became poor so that we might become truly rich in a way that's lasting and fulfilling. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 that the Lord Jesus Christ was kind enough to give up all his riches and become poor so that you could become rich. It's by seeing how extravagantly generous Jesus was in giving himself away to reconcile us that we sh- that that should become the new standard of generosity in our lives. We need to look to Jesus and see the generosity that He had in giving Himself away, and that should be the the standard by which we become generous in our own lives. Today, Jesus is saying, "I want your attitude to money to be completely transformed by what I've done for you, and I want you to trust me." Friends, as the band uh, comes up to play our final song before we have communion, friends, uh, you have to allow the cross of Christ. You have to allow God making himself poor so that you can be rich to move you, to change you, like it did Zacchaeus, if you want to avoid going away sad like the rich young man in the story today. As we sing this final song and as we go into a time of communion, let us think 
about where is our where our trust is invested. Where is my trust invested? That's the question this morning. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many years or whether you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to ask Jesus now to help you transfer your trust, even retransfer it. If you've been a follower of Jesus for many years and, and you've, you're, you're, you've been investing in something else, you've been trusting in something else, you, I want you to encourage you to ask Jesus to help you to, to retransfer your trust to Him so that you can live for Jesus in hope, in freedom, and with Christ-like generosity to others. We do that this morning. I want you to consider that as we sing this final song. Thanks, Jess.